right. What's up, my Jesse Smollett defenders? What's up, my Robert Mueller report deniers? Welcome to Time is a Flat Circle. A look at how humans keep getting it wrong. I'm your host, Joseph, the youngest, and I'm here with the uh, brother bear of my own, Adrian, my actual brother. <laughs> what up, guys? Uh, this is Adrian reporting back from Dallas. Uh, Austin was fun, but uh, it's good to be home uh, with family. And I'll uh, go ahead and switch it over to uh, my my big brother, Andre. Hey, everybody. Uh, good to know that we are back at 100% jokes tonight uh, from me. So that, that should be some good listening. Uh, and I would like to throw it over to the most swole member of the group, Hondo. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Hondo. I am definitely the bronze and none of the brains uh, of the group. I'm coming to you live from San Antonio, Texas. And like always, happy to be a part of it with this good group of friends of mine. All right. So we're back into the archetype discussion of what we're looking into as something that supersedes history, supersedes humanity, supersedes everything because it's in all of our stories, it's in all of our lives, we can identify with it pretty easily. What we're gonna look at today is the archetype of the orphan and how it plays out in modern media, in history, in topical figures that are in the media right now, in politics, everything that is in between all those things as well. So let's get a very brief description of what a traditional orphan archetype looks like and since our uh, Grand Maester isn't here, Jaime, uh, let's throw it to Hondo, who's going to take the place um, as best as he can to give us that definition. Sounds good. Um, I, I will do my best impression of Jaime, which is still not a very good impression. Um, so looking up an article or two here, um, one that I'm inclined to refer to is called The Character Therapist, an online therapy service for fictional characters. Um, and here we have the character archetype of the orphan, also known as the good old boy, everyman, realist, working stiff, the solid citizen, good neighbor, and the silent majority. The orphan archetype is down to is a down-to-earth realist with solid virtue and a lack of pretense. They are empathetic egalitarians who believe in the inherent worth of all and highly valued dignity of others as well. Acceptance comes easily to them as they are fair friendly, understanding, and inviting. They are democratic and not in the political sense because they believe in the Three Musketeers concept of one for all and all for one. Again, that is The Character Therapist, an online service for fictional characters. All right, so that's a pretty cookie-cutter-ish version of what this archetype kind of looks like. Um, pretty dry, pretty uh, straightforward, but I think it gets us to a point where we can start looking at it in terms of what that means and why it's important in modern day, I guess, just discussions with each other and where we've come from that in terms of the modern media that has defined us as a generation. I think every generation probably has a version of this that makes sense. The first thing that came to mind, obviously, the most in-your-face version of this is Oliver Twist. <laughs> I think that 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 is uh, what generates a lot of stories um, from, our, from our generation. Um, but let's just talk about what that kind of makes you feel. Uh, go around the room and see what it sounds like to each person. So I'm going to start with actually you go right back to Hondo. Um, what does that sound like to you? What, what does that look like to you in terms of um, someone that you might know, something that you might have seen, a book you might have read, or a comic that is uh, really in-depth in that, that arc? Uh, yeah, so I guess in a high level, I, I agree with you. I feel like that definition is very cookie cutter, very generic, and it's open to uh, a lot of interpretation. Um, my personal take from that would be uh, the orphan archetype is someone who has encountered a very high level of trauma. And then as a result of that trauma, they seek to influence change in a way that would prevent others from experiencing that exact same form of trauma that they experienced at their own point in time. Um, perfect example of that, I think it's 
I'll start it off with the pretty obvious one. Um, Bruce Wayne, Batman. Um, as a child, he was orphaned as a little kid going down the alleyway. Both of his parents were killed and he decides to seek up uh, an alternate life or an alternate persona as the Batman via vigilante lifestyle where his whole purpose is to make sure that no other person has to encounter that same type of trauma that he encountered as a kid. And the idea, what's up? You definitely have a great Jaime impression because you just explained Batman. <laughs> uh, is it coming pretty well? I'm trying to. I'm trying to it's, mimic my best time impression right it's now. It's one of those stories that like everybody knows, but just tell it anyway. <laughs> it's just like the movies, man. It's just like the movies. They always have to show the origin. Yeah, you got. You got to. Hey, we've seen Uncle Ben die like four times already in Spider Man, so we got to start from the beginning, right? <laughs> and I get sad every time. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's pretty much someone overcoming a trauma and then doing doing something to see if they can prevent other people from encountering that same type of trauma like at, at a high level that's what i feel it is I, I, I think i i have something to add to to the the trauma aspect i feel like there's a to me at least a, there's a role parents play in like helping you or helping anybody um become the, an adult or like a fully functioning uh, human for lack of a better word and in my opinion, I think there's a lot of um, both like support and validation that you get from if you have a healthy relationship with your parents. And for an orphan, it's not like that that relationship was ruined or it was a negative relationship. It's just that that relationship was taken away from them. And I feel like a lot of times, like with Batman, um, we were talking about um, Iron Man earlier. I think that is significant in terms of his development being an orphan um at an older age uh but uh the fact that without that validation you start seeking it other places and you may find yourself being like um either like either overly confrontational or like super super nice guy nice girl type of person um i I think it forces personalities to kind of swing into the extremes of um perfectionism or never good enough type of mentality um, and that's because of, <clears throat> to Hondo's point, the trauma uh, that that one experiences, not from maybe bad things happening, but just the fact that there's like a relationship that's supposed to be natural to to everyone. It's just not there in an orphan's life. So I like that you said that because I was going to disagree with like a strong trauma with a very specific example that you were kind of hinting at. Um and I think but before the pod, I'll let you get into that as well as like your explanation of, you know, the, the whole father relationship. But the, the one phrase of like, kill the boy, Jon Snow, right? The guy who's an actual orphan. And that's what he had to do is he had to realize, like, I need to make this journey and I have to stop. I, I hate to use the like way overused Bible phrase, but like I put away childish things, right? Like I stopped doing this and moved on. Like John, I, wait, when you say orphan, are you referring to Jon Snow? Yeah. He's not an orphan. He's a bastard. I mean, no, they're all orphans, did. like pretty, pretty <laughs> early on in the series. No, but I, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they got, they got orphaned by like. No, I get what you're saying though. No, no, no. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I think what, what, what comes out in that, um, that perspective though, is the fact that what Adrian was saying is that there's something missing. So, even yeah. if you're not an orphan in the very literal sense, you could be an orphan just by not having parents that are present or not having parents that represent those parental figures. Yeah, I, well, that's, I, that's not where I got that example from because that's what you're saying. It was like so, there's something like a relationship that everybody has that you don't, and that's what he does. He doesn't have a mother. Like he still loves him like a son, but his mom, for lack of a better word, just hates him, like treats him terribly. Okay, then you're okay. You're talking about more of a, specifically the mother figure because. Uh, man, I should know this. The Stark father was very much a father figure in his life. Like he taught him yeah. everything, and he considered him a son for all intents and purposes. Yeah. yeah, it was specific. You're speaking specifically more to the mother figure aspect. I would say to that point, uh, one thing that would be interesting, and I think a, a little bit of fun to delve into is: can someone without traditional parents end up? personifying the char- characteristics of a 
fully fledged, fully formed human being better than someone who has shitty parents, like someone that has those parental figures that are a detriment to them or bring out their worst aspects, be less, um, I guess just led along in life by their natural instincts, which make them unique and good at what they do. Someone like Batman had to have that push off the edge, which is an extreme example because it obviously doesn't exist in modern world or maybe does. Maybe there's a Batman out there that is just roaming around because he is very upset about the fact that his parents were killed. But does that engage someone more than something that would have just been an afterthought of um, bad parentage? Is there a reason why the orphan archetype is so strong, especially with um, you think about now, I guess just parents that don't parent, there's obviously so many examples of that in all of history, but right now I think it's a little more in your face because you get all of these anecdotal stories about parents that are just putting their kids in front of TVs, giving them tablets, not really doing any of the parenting themselves. So does that have a place in our society right now? Is that something that is a growing opportunity for the orphan archetype to be prevalent or is that something that may be the opposite effect where there's just shitty kids all over the place? So you, you kind of touched on something that I thought was interesting where you said the not having the traditional parent relationship. And I think that's like, I, I know we, you, your question was really guiding towards more of a like, well, how destructive or how, negative um can like this archetype be um, considering xyz that's happening in today's world um but something that i think the really touches upon some of the stories like oliver twist like batman if you're you're really really looking for it is the fact that um with the loss of that relationship and the loss of what you would consider like the traditional um mentor or the traditional um I don't know, guide in terms of how to live your, your best adult life. Uh, you also lose tradition and, and that could be um, something of a good thing, right? Like with every good habit that I'm sure your, your father as a man can instill in you, um, you're, you're picking up all those bad habits through um, just following their, their lead and um, going through life with like them as a role model Right. So like uh, I, I think it's a harder journey because you're having to kind of go through life with your own path or making your own path. You have no role model or no no North Star. Um, but at the same time, um, that leaves you much freer to to do things without any of that baggage or any of those bad habits. And I think that's one of the reasons why the archetype of the orphan uh, is something that's that's pretty prevalent i think from a culture cultural aspect maybe like every generation kind of has to go through that archetype because i feel like every generation before them kind of seems to disappear in terms of like right when they should be taking the lead like right now i feel like gen xers should be taking the lead but they've just disappeared so it's really like you got the baby baby boomers that are still like holding on as long as they can to power. And then you have the millennials. And I feel like that's really like a, an orphan archetype that's playing out today. So I think one thing I heard uh, about your description plays into the idea that there is a role model that exists for someone with a parental system that is consistent, even if it's not good, even if it's not reliable, if it's consistent in the unreliability aspect of it, it's still consistent because you know, never to rely on the person that ends up being who you, um, I guess look to, to how to act, how to be, how to just exist in the world. But I would say the advantage an orphan archetype has is that they don't have an absolute role model. They get to look at the world with open eyes and see all of the good with the bad of every role model that exists in their life. 
So that might be something to to look at in terms of why it's so prevalent and why it's so powerful in um, not just our media, but in media throughout history. I, I, I see where you're going with that, Joseph. I'm, I'm admittingly, I'm a little hesitant to, to fully board that ship. And the reason being is because I think it kind of depends on when you're defined as that orphan. Um, because like some of the articles that I've been reading, they, they kind of define, according to some of the articles I've read, they define being an orphan in several phases, right? Or like several different timelines. Um, the first three that are the biggest priority are the one when you become an orphan as an infant. So it's essentially like at the time before you truly know who your parents are. The second time is when you're in your adolescence. So in your process, you've established a father figure while you're essentially growing into a person. And then you lose that, I'll say parental figure, not father figure. You lose that parental figure before your transition into manhood is complete. And then there's the, I I'm, can't find it right now, so I apologize, but it's essentially a late staged orphan where you've pretty much come into your own, you know more or less who you are as a person, but you don't have that leadership figure to help you fully transition into yourself as a grown adult, right? So I think kind of depending on what stage you're in defines like how that impacts you, because depending on where you are, like you may see it through a different lens. It's not necessarily just one universal concept. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think it also plays into the fact that when I think of things like that, um, it kind of is based on the fact that we live in a pretty patriarchal society where certain stages of that loss are rooted in the idea when I think about it of losing my mother versus losing my father. So when we get into the late stages of orphanage, I think about the death of Superman. Like I think about uh, my dad being able to do everything and having uh, to look to him to guide me later in my life, as opposed to if my mom died when I was younger, I would be completely lost because that was the entirety of my formation as a human being. So if my dad had died when I was younger, I think I probably would have still been more or less the same person, just a little bit lost on the back end versus opposite would be way different. Like I would be so jaded and uh, not fully formed as a human being. But getting to the point where I am now, I, I feel like I would feel the loss of my dad more than I would my mom. Not saying that I would rather lose either of them, but at a certain point, there's certain things I look to both of them for. So that might be just part of who we are as uh, American culture versus who human beings are as a um, society that looks to their elders for, for guidance or growth. What do y'all think really makes you empathetic towards the orphan archetype because I think that's one of the huge pieces of it. Uh, the reason that it's so powerful is you feel bad for these guys. Like just in general, there's something in there that you maybe feel that you have that they don't, or maybe it's something that they have that you don't. Is there a, an envy in there? Um, like, I mean, I know, Buck, I want to be Batman, but I, I don't. I also don't want to lose my parents. You don't want that <laughs> when, I'm nine, when I'm nine years old. <laughs> yeah. I but. think that, and maybe it might just be me. I don't know if it's the generation, but we're very inclusive, and like maybe that's just us as a friend group. But like, you see the kid who is kind of down and out, and like you want to make sure he has friends. Like you want to include him in the group, and I think that's part of it. It's like, oh, this is somebody that like. I would probably treat better than these other people have. And you see that, I guess, what happens if you don't? Because a lot of this, and I think we, we've gotten, we've touched on a little bit is, and Joseph, you asked this earlier, like if you don't treat that kid well, do they just turn into the villain? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely a scary thought. I mean, you look at how many school shootings have we had this year and it's only March. Like, yeah, that, that definitely is something to think about. And, um, what are these kids looking to in terms of we talk about inclusion for everyone in media and what do these kids have to look at to, to express themselves in a way that isn't violent outrage? Um, 
where, where's a positive role model for the orphan in modern media? Is there one? Should there be one? Like, yeah, like Harry Potter's an orphan. Yeah. Yeah. And, but at the same time, like you look at how he could have gone, which is the antithesis Voldemort. Like he, he, he's an orphan in a different sense. And he was literally the opposite antihero of, or not antihero, just villain, just straight up villain of, of Harry Potter. The fact that they, you have to look at uh, how, you know, he was used his whole life. And that's a very specific example, but like, Dumbledore kept him alive specifically so that he could die at the right time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like if we're bringing it back to archetypes and kind of like why these stories are, are told and seem to be more powerful than just like the narrative that they're um, displaying, like just it's more powerful than just the story. There's like a deeper meaning. I would say that um, back to, you know, like Batman or, or any of the the other orphans that we've talked about, there's something to be said about how that's that character is experiencing abandonment of uh, their uh, role models. Uh, I guess is the the best word for the idea I'm trying to get to. Um, so they're they're losing their role models, and I think um, to a certain extent, like as a child, you're very naive. And once you get to a certain point, like you may not have been abandoned by your actual physical parents, but I do think there's a, a time, there comes a time in every person's life where the idealized version of your parents that you had in your head, uh, that luster kind of goes away and you, you actually see them as just like a, a real person with Flaws, they may not be the same flaws that you have, but you see them as a real person. You, you stop seeing them as like the, the Superman. Dad is Superman and mom is like you're the entire world and, and safety and could never do anything wrong. Um, when in fact, they're, they're people that people. have all the same, not all the same, but uh, this, as many dysfunctions as you have as a person. And when you when you start seeing them that way, I, I do think there's an experience that you have of, uh, you become, uh, metaphorically an orphan yourself. Like those, those people that you had living in your head are now dead and the role models, uh, aren't there anymore to kind of guide you because you have now these follow fallible people that are in front of you. Um, and you have to build a real relationship with them. And at the same time, you have to figure out yourself and to um, to Andre's quote from Game of Thrones, like you, you have to kill the boy to become the man. Right. So now now it's up to you um, and you alone to dive into the full extent of what it means to be you and and become a man yourself. Like no one else can do that. Your mom, your dad, as much as they want to, um, they can't take that journey for you. See, that was what, what, R. R. Martin's quote, not, not mine, but I'll take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, I would say, what I would say to that point, I think, is we're kind of getting away from the, reali- real, the realism of someone that is an orphan. Like the, the reality of an orphan is so much different than I think the, the archetype of an orphan, which deserves to be looked at in, in a little bit of a sense. What you've, you've described... And what we've described in all these versions of media that describe an orphan are people that get in tune with their history, heritage, lineage in some form or fashion along the way. But a real orphan may not ever have that. They might not ever know who their grandparents were, who their uh, ancestors were at all. Like you might have no connection to anyone that has ever lived as an, as a real orphan, that might truly be the case where you don't have any kind of history that you can look back on. Cause you look at Harry Potter, he knows who his parents were. He figures that out. He goes all the way back to basically being a King Arthur. Um, I guess, I don't know. Uh, rule by right kind of person. His lineage goes all the way back to, uh, the, the three, um, 
brothers from that awesome animation sequence in the movie. But whatever. Even stuff that is something that you were describing on a personal level of growing up to know who your parents are, you still end up having that idea, that idyllic idea of your grandparents or your ancestors. These were these people that all you know about, uh, all you know about them are stories that are told. So they're uh, distillation or concentration more of the identities that they created when they were alive. So imagine being a real orphan without any ties to anything. Like you don't have anything to base your identity on other than how you feel, how you react to things, what you do with your life and the role models that you seek out and throw away. And, uh, I don't know, end well, up with, with, even though if I could be uh, a little cold, um, stories about what you just described don't get told because there, there's no additional meaning or deeper level of like someone that's truly like in the wilderness with nothing else to lean on. Like that's not, that's not a story that has any deeper meaning other than that person's screwed, you know? And, and that, that may be a story that actually really happens and it, it's experienced by someone in this reality, but it's not an archetype. Like the archetype of the well, orphan so, oh. is, is so kind of the reason why the archetype of, of the orphan is so powerful is because we all experience it to some extent. Counterpoint. There is a version of that story that's told all the time where you have siblings that are orphans together. So Brothers Bloom, Romulus and Remus, things like that, where the familial aspects are, I guess, on the same level as opposed to hierarchies is there a reason for that or is that just something that's easier of a story to tell i get what you're saying and i totally agree with you you're like yeah, yeah that that story isn't universal that's not language that everyone can comprehend but the story still kind of gets told when you have a brother that's going along the journey with you i'd also like to mention wolverine and Sabretooth in that yeah that's a good one too Romulus and Ramus. <laughs> I think the probably the most efficient I've seen outside of that, Joseph, where you have like a brother or a family to lean on, well, it was told very briefly, but it was told in uh, Dark Knight Rises. That's Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. Like, he's in the system. Nobody's really helping him. You age out, and you basically have to figure out what you're doing. Like they're telling that story of the orphans; they all end up joining Bane's army. But that's like his character's point of view is taking that journey, and like we talked about last week, realizing, you know, what what can I do with this? And then he actually turns into a police officer, like ends up helping people. But for a lot of kids, it probably goes the other direction. So I would you say that's that's real orphan versus fake orphan, where Bruce for, Bruce Wayne is uh, just like a fucking poser? And yeah, he's, he's a billionaire. Like you're care of you, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I think I think you see all of that in like I mean, y'all went the Batman route, but I'm thinking X Men route, right? Like Professor X's school of uh, teaching everyone, right? Like you see that perfect example of people come into the system, they try to take what they have, they feel that sense of abandonment, that sense of individuality, they look for fellow people to lean on, and not everyone follows according to that flow, right? Mystique is kind of an interesting true orphan character that ends up being an anti-hero. Like, she's someone that you root for, but you also see she's not a good person. Is is that the realm that that people are kind of forced into? I think at her core, she's a good person. I I think it's um, the fact that she somehow ended up with the idea that the the ends always justify the means or the means the always do whichever yeah, way to say that which is a weird, which is a weird thing for him to come to the conclusion of because he got just destroyed by nazis but besides the point besides the point but that's what, um, kind of what makes him like a deep deep character right like it, the flawed logic of like what he wants to bring about is basically like the, the worst terrors that he he himself experienced as a child well, just i flipped. prefer uh like ni- mid 90s cartoon magneto 
where he was like, no, I'm just going to have this uh, flying, what was it, asteroid, and like, we can all live here. Yeah, he just wanted to get away and live in peace. Yeah. I'm I'm with you, Andre. I'm thinking back to the cartoon version of it where he wanted to get away and the humans wouldn't let him get away because they were like, no, you're mutants. You're going to do something later, so we need to stop you. He wanted to create a mutant Israel, is what you're saying. Yeah. But not taking someone else's land. Oh, was that too soon? I got a setup. <laughs> well, it, so I think did, it, Adrian did touch on something early on that kind of stuck with me. And I don't know if we're going to get into it here, but it's essentially like, is millennial or millennials the orphan generation? Because you mentioned like we basically went from boomers to us, like at least in my workplace, there aren't a lot of Gen Xers to bridge that gap, which I guess had been happening. And it's a very, very big disparity between the workforce and the people who are in charge of that workforce now. Well, Adrian also brought up another point in terms of the clarity with which a true orphan brings to the table where someone like Mystique may not seem like an... uh, empathetic character but at the end of the day ends justify the means that gets things done that changes the world that doesn't just leave it the way it was with some um, idealist views on how it could be this is something that is uh, maybe you could put it in the perspective of there's a boiling point there's a, a tipping point there's something that if things don't change it's going to explode so that might be how millennials as an orphan generation actually feel about the lives that they're being given in terms of the fact that Gen X didn't really have any sway one way or the other or any uh, impetus to, to make that move or change things because it was comfortable or comfortable enough. Should we also clarify that we're all technically millennials in this? Yeah. I'm actually a Gen Xer. <laughs> no, I, I, I um, definitely feel the same way as Andre. Like in my workplace, which is, a, I think, a pretty large company, um, you see the same exact thing happening where there's the, uh, the baby boomers. And, and you can honestly, I feel like, feel a sense of desperation in, in some of them where they just want a mentee. And you, you can tell that they've probably just churned and burned through so many Gen Xers that either burnt out, thought they knew it better, or, or for whatever reason, like, just weren't willing to, to take on that role um, and, and really learn and uh, take the reins of leadership. And now they're just like, it's, it's crazy just how many young people in my company, at least, uh, I see moving up very quickly because it's like, well, if if these guys aren't going to do it, uh, maybe the next uh, group of it, what's essentially kids. I feel like, to a certain extent, I people still see me as a kid um, in in my company. But it's like, hey, like he's willing to learn. Um, that's more than we can say with all the other ones we've been through. Like, we're, we're going to put a lot of time and effort into making sure we can teach them. Uh, Hondo, I wanted to ask you, because I feel like your workplace probably has the most Gen Xers out of anybody here. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no it's, it's, it's funny because I'm, tr- I'm trying to think like it's. I feel like, like you have all the like mid range Tejanos that. Also, there's the, the idea that, uh, so to, to cut in a little bit bef- before you answer that question, I think uh, the identity of someone working where you work, Hondo, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's more uh, along the lines of old school kind of loyalty. There's, there's a loyalty that's built in there that um, probably a lot of Gen Xers were looking for because their parents and their role models grew up in that lifestyle where you were dealt loyalty for loyalty. And to see that somewhere probably sounds a lot like what they were expecting and they're going to just hold on to it for dear life because they know the world outside of that environment is completely different than 
what they're exposed to or what, what they uh, expected to be their life going forward. Yeah. Okay. So Joseph, you make it a little easier to, for me to explain. So, yeah. So for all two people that are listening to our podcast, um, I work in the financial industry for a long branded institution that has been around since for about a hundred years now. Um, so to answer the question, I, I do think there definitely is a transition period going on right now to where yet yeah, you do see a lot of Gen Xers. Um, because everybody that works at my institution has either been working there for one to five years or for 15 plus years. Um, so I definitely think you see an, you see a representation in that gap where it's the company as a whole is going through a transition and you're starting to see a reflection of that transition in the fact that you've either been there for a really, really long time or you've been there for a, a relatively short period of time. There's no in-between, and I think that speaks to that gap of there's just a transition in ideologies and understanding between different peoples. And it's kind of weird, actually, now that you bring that up, because, yeah, depending on who you're talking to, it really is a different concept. Like, for those of y'all that don't know, that don't see me, like, I'm a 30-year-old male with a beard and a mohawk, and I will be talking to a 55-year-old gray-haired suit and tie executive but we're both in the same meeting room and you definitely see that dichotomy in terms of where we grew up together or in terms of how we grew up differently and what our views of what the financial industry are nowadays so yeah to answer your question i think you do see that and the fact that it's either a short-term or a extremely long-term employee um, speaks to the fact that there's that gap because you don't see that in between all I got from that was that, yes, I was right. <laughs> yes, you are right. No, but, all right. Just trying to get my time what's, in. All right? what's, what's interesting is that that lost aspect of what we call the, the Gen Xers is they're not really orphans. They're not really fully fledged decision makers in terms of steering the world where it goes. Um, they're kind of just along for the ride. They kind of just sit back and, 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 and see what goes on. And that's such a generalization. That's such a shitty thing to, to generalize in terms of identities of a whole generation of people. But, uh, they, they do it to us all the time. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's kind of hard to, to imagine what that looks like. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, it's basically like millennials are killing every industry because Gen Xers refuse to take the reins on anything. Like and, the, and because they they just well, just allowed all of the industries to barely survive. Like yeah. it, it's not even that they 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 were in a position to have all these industries thrive. They just have existed for so long because the baby boomer generation are the executives and Generation X are cheap to anything that marketing throws at them. So I'm going to ask a really dumb question here. Um, so I'm a 30, I was born in 87, but if I'm not mistaken, I think generation X is referring to like early eighties. And I think I'm considered technically generation Y. Um, can, can anybody look that up on the internet and validate that? Yeah. You're under millennials. I think millennials is from literally Andre's age to me. I think I'm the end of it. And Andre is the beginning. Uh, so the mid group actually, they're calling like between millennials and the next generation is like 93 to like 97. Okay. So Cause what I'm trying, what, what I'm trying to get at is whatever group range we're in, I feel like we're the equivalent of that orphan because we're kind yeah. of stuck between a transition of two, of two mindsets, right? You have the old school work hard, like I'm stronger than this. Like if it doesn't, move than just work harder versus this new generation that's coming up where everything's digitized. There's a new process, like things are more technologically advanced. And I feel like our generation is the one that's kind of caught in between because we can't really claim either one is like, no, that's what I represent. We kind of have to become a hybrid of the two. Well, I, I would say that like to, uh, and maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit, Hondo, but like, just think of like how we communicate, think of like what we're doing now. I, I'd say that if anything, uh, you're just not giving yourself enough credit because you're one of the vanguards of the generation. Like we're some of the oldest uh, of that millennial generation. So like what everyone or everyone that you see as a kid and what they're doing is because of some of the, like the foundations of what 
uh, I, I don't know, memes, what, uh, what behaviors started taking root when, when we were in high school, when we started, I mean, we were the first generation or not first, I'm not sure if it's quote unquote generation, but age co- cohort that had like Facebook back then it was called the Facebook, but I think we, I was the first class that had that. Yeah. Yes, but name I, drop. Name drop the Facebook. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would put, I would push back Hashtag on that because I would say, I think our generation, because like, okay, who grew up here with a cell phone in grade school, right? And like outside of Joseph raising his hand, who was also the youngest, um, I don't think any of us had a cell phone growing up. So like we have- I was that allowed con- to use it though. I was not allowed <laughs> to use it. It was too damn expensive. That's why. Yeah. Well, well that's what I'm saying, Hondo, but like you had one in high school. And so, yeah, like, and that's what I mean. So we were kind of, we transitioned, we had to transition along with the times, right? Like as technology, as technology became more mainstay and more household, like we had to acclimate to that. It wasn't something we were initially, or we were inherently accustomed to. Whereas kids these days, it's like as if we weren't raised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like you have two year olds that know how to use iPads these days. You, you know what I mean? Oh, so okay. That, that's okay. That's that's where I have a point of contention because uh, I think the thing that you're talking about is interesting because we existed in a transitional period of techno- uh, technological re- revolution, basically. Uh, information age really did suspend what people thought of as possible, and you see it in Back to the Future. I mean, what the fuck were they thinking that we were going to get to that point in – in whatever year it was that 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 movie was supposed to be taking place in but also there's a difference between our generation just knowing how to navigate and troubleshoot general problems with technology versus kids that are in high school now not knowing how to reboot a phone if it stops working and take it immediately to someone or get a replacement as soon as possible because they don't know the evolution of the technology as well as we do. So there's certain things that you know to try. There's certain things that you know to look for. There's certain things that you know that can go wrong or how they can go wrong or why they can go wrong with just your phone, your computer, a TV. I mean, hand the kid a, a remote to a brand new TV that is younger than 15 versus older than 21 and see the difference in how they try and figure out how to, how it works. So I feel like we, but so you guys have been talking about this and you know, there may have been a lack of leadership ahead of us or that created us as being like an orphan. I feel like we saw that and we're, we're essentially the Batmans like, Hey, we're going to take this and we're going to not let it happen to anyone else, which is kind of what you're talking about. So when we see that, at least from my perspective is I love teaching, right? Like, Hey, this is a teachable moment. Let's take this and how do we fix it and then move on. And so that I do a lot of work because we hire people fresh out of college who are like uh, 23 at this point, 22 years old. And that's a huge thing we have to do is I don't know if they're looking for the leadership or I guess at that age we all were. Right. But it's it's something that I see me and my peers doing a lot of is taking the reins and being the leader that's going to drive that either whatever it is, the solution, the conversation. All right. I'm going to interrupt again. I I know I have a. If I could just reel it, try and reel it back in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Going back to like the orphan and like looking at it from like a cultural generational aspect, but then kind of bringing it back to the point that I had um, earlier in terms of like everyone has this ideal. I I think it's a little unfair to say like, oh, the Gen Xers maybe um, screwed the pooch on this one because I'm sure. generation alpha or whatever it comes after millennial is going to think the same ab- about us, right? Like to, to Joseph's point, um, there's going to be all this amazing technology uh, around them that does amazing things. But when it doesn't work, you're going to be like, well, no, like that knowledge wasn't passed down to us. Like we can't, we, we don't know how these things work. They just, they're just supposed to work. And when it breaks down, we just have to throw it in the trash. Like uh, every generation has its own dysfunction and we kind of orphan the next one every time. Wait, well, I've got, no, I, I've got my million dollar idea, guys. 
disposable cell phones. <laughs> oh, it's Saturday. Time to get a new phone. Just throw this one out. <laughs> okay. So, so to, to what Adrian's talking about, I think there's, and this is going to sound so special snowflake to everyone listening that, that, that doesn't agree with me, but I, I really do think that it's a case where we're transitioning or we, we lived in a transitional period from analog to digital. So we're really the bridge between that gap. Like I, I understand what you're saying, Adrian, about just every generation feeling that way. But we really did grow up in a, a place where our parents know how to fix the drywall hole that was punched into the wall. But our ancestors are going to know a little bit better about building a house because they had to actually build their own house. So there's knowledge, there's knowledge that (laughs) there's knowledge that's lost, (laughs) but there's, there's, there's less knowledge that's lost between our generation and the previous versus our generation and the next. So there's a, a apex point where analog knowledge and digital knowledge kind of go together to create, um, just someone that can fix the sink just as well as they could fix their laptop might not be professional level, but they can at least get by versus someone that is the next generation after this next generation is just going to throw something away because they don't even know how that technology works. There's a difference in that. Is there though? Or are you just kind of rationalizing how, I'm saying I, I, I prefaced it with it's going to sound very special snowflakey and I, I, I get why that's the case, but I do think that there might be some substance there. So, so like, let's maybe uh, take it outside of the physical. I think um, what we are like just now reckoning with, but what um, the, the generation that's coming up now um, after us is going to see is, is the fact that they lived through the transition from the information age to the disinformation age. And that's a, so like getting yourself off the grid, getting yourself out of the or just, sphere yeah, of the information, realizing like gathering like collection. Yeah. Steeping yourself in uh, everything that the internet has to offer um, often leads to um, being less informed of like the actual facts because you're just exposed to so many quote unquote alternative facts from, from every side, like every, everyone has an agenda and everyone has a platform. Um, so I'm not living in the information age anymore. I'm living in the disinformation age and I have to be that much more of a critical thinker in anything I can consume. Um, and it's, uh, something that I, I, I'll be the first to say, like our generation had a part in making that environment and creating, uh, that world. And to a certain extent, um, we abandoned the next generation in terms of like how to deal with the mess that we created. I will deny that claim in that it's everyone's aunt and parent who shares misinformation on Facebook. <laughs> but I mean, how many, how many times and not saying that any of us have done it, because I think um, we're pretty wary of what we throw up on on any social media platform, but how how many times have we seen our peers that we think are pretty damn intelligent do stupid things in terms of jumping to conclusions? Um, with- well, I can give you an exact example. I had a, a friend who shared a picture of the, what was the like Native American standoff with the water guns and everything? Oh yeah, yeah. Water high schoolers. The- I see a water gun with like water hoses, like fire hoses. <laughs> like water tanks. The, oh, wait, the Dakota Piper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this guy shared a photo. He was like, oh, look at this picture. Uh, nobody's like, why isn't the media talking about this? And I looked at the picture, and I was like, well, first of all, like, the sunshine, these people look happy. And I look a little closer, and I'm like, this is definitely a picture of Woodstock. <laughs> so I Googled pictures of Woodstock, and it was like the third one, and I screenshotted it. And I was like, hey, dude, this is a picture of Woodstock. And he almost immediately took that. He's like, oh, man, thanks for checking. I was like, just click on the article. Like, <laughs> you can tell they're hippies. So uh, to, to that point, and then I guess just kind of working backwards, 
um, to, uh, the idea that it's always like your crazy, crazy aunt that's, that's posting this, this shit on Facebook. Um, that idea extends to, and I'm sure everyone can relate to this specific instance of weird generational gap between the older generation and, and, and you as a person in an office, uh, just knowing how to work an Excel spreadsheet can sometimes blow people's mind in a way that their, their excuse is, well, I'm just not a computer person, which to me always is translated as I am not willing to learn a technology that my job literally hinges on anymore. Like I'm still going to be employed because why not? But at the same time, I'm done learning everything that everyone does to make their life somewhat productive in the job that I'm in, I'm no longer willing to do. That's all I hear when I hear someone say, I'm not a computer person. Cause what is that? Well, I mean, <laughs> like I, why is, I, I do think can, though, can like, you just follow it up with like, do you have a smartphone? Okay. You're a computer person. But, but at the same time, uh, I, I do think that there, there there's going to come a point in all of our lives where we're just like, yeah, I'm done learning. <laughs> and, yeah, but I'm not I'm not going to expect to have the same job I did the same way that these people do. That you say that now, but yeah, I feel like I will. Yeah, you say that now, but I, but I think you you're maybe still coming from like a a place where uh maybe just maybe you think your shit don't stink. So that's what I was going to ask was are we all just going to get there where we're just like old people that don't want to learn? I mean, it's not even VR. Like, what's the next thing beyond that? Yeah, yeah. Like, there comes a point in, I think, everyone's life where it's just like that That ROI does not make sense to me. Like, that's a whole yeah. lot of effort, and I don't know that I'm going to lose my job if I don't do that. So, Which, by then, the I'm robots will be there. doing all of our <laughs> jobs, so it won't matter. Choose hey, like, universal basic income, baby. Yeah. Give me I'm my Tesla. <laughs> Give me my government-issued <laughs> Tesla. <laughs> self-driving cars i don't trust those things i can use my own gas pedal i'm okay with that yeah that's me until the day i die see andre's already there (laughs) yeah maybe the skill we don't learn is like this the the skill to just let go and basically let the algorithms run our lives i don't know i'm pretty happy with the (laughs) algorithm and what it's doing for me Wait, have you seen that Detroiters episode where that guy has that crazy house <laughs> and he's like, hey, yes. did you notice you that that girl was a robot? You guys remember the last time we had something involving the algorithm and it was Tau? <laughs> oh, God. Are we going to watch, are we gonna have to watch it again for the never going to not rundown? be funny? No, I, I would like to I, put a correction on there. The last algorithm was Iron Man and Jarvis. So take that, Andre. <laughs> it was just a good joke. I couldn't do <laughs> No, I appreciate that. That was really good. So it's close to Tom. Tom think he's wrong. I think we we kind of uh, man, we just we just ran through all of the the topical ideas of what that orphan looks like. Um, we talked about um, definitely how it fits into our society right now. And we, we talked about the implications a little bit. What I want to get into now is uh, media. What are we going to look at to, to hone in on, on why this is such a powerful archetype in our um, history as humans and our personal experiences? Um, we talked about a, a few things um, I don't want to go with the obvious choices. I mean, maybe I'll uh, I'll watch Batman again just because I want to. But um, besides like the Harry Potter and the Batman, uh, what can y'all think like, of that? That I liked Hondo's suggestion of X Men because that's something I hadn't thought about. And I actually own like all the seasons of the '90s cartoon. And I would love to binge those. I could go with the uh, uh, X Men. I think that that's really good because you'll be able to get a flavor well, all of, of them all, are, all different kinds of orphans because all you know, of them are orphans yeah they're, they're yeah. all different they're all different versions of orphans maybe let's pick a few of the animated series uh episodes i think andre you can curate that for us and let us know what which ones we should watch um yeah. but something that i that i i really did think of when i was just thinking about this was uh kung fu panda 
is a, is a very interesting <laughs> version of that orphan archetype that, that I, uh, for whatever reason, just kind of, it, it, it hits all those, it hits all those points for me. When, and he finds out that he's not what he thinks he is in terms of the crane's son during the movie. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah so you kind of get like, um, and we were talking about this with like Loki and uh, the MCU where you get a real accelerated um, version of the the journey that an orphan takes to, uh, I don't know, become uh, the fully realized orphan, whatever fully that, realized, that is yeah. um, in, in those types of stories, because uh, he starts out thinking he's not an orphan and he has to deal with like the abandonment issues as if they like fall off a, a cliff and like hit him like a ton of bricks as he's an adult, like, or close to an adult. And I, I don't know, I can't tell the ages of computer generated pandas. So I have no idea. Above Jack black voiced characters. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do no, think, I think that's interesting. Cause you'll get to see it. Like, it, I, I don't know. Yeah. Take, I think so you bring up a good point and, and, and maybe we can, if everyone agrees for this, I think this will be a good opportunity is kind of what we, uh, what I had talked about earlier, there's essentially, or the article that I read about, there's three stages of an orphan, right? And if we can find three media references for each one, we can talk about like Kung Fu Panda is when he, as a baby was orphaned. So he grew up thinking that what he had was like, he essentially finds out that who he was is not who he always thought he was. Whereas like in the X-Men piece, you're more in your adolescence because that's when you're like, you know what's going on, but you're still looking for that other figure, that sense of having to grow up and grow into yourself. And, and I, I kind of Kung Fu Panda might like be I the adult version. Panda. Yeah, because like he it might thinks, be the adult version of figuring out. Yeah. You know, what would be a really, really good version of like the uh, the infancy orphanage, though, is uh, Kung Pao. Okay, okay. Are they so, just the same so, movie? Is time really a flat circle? <laughs> I I, um, I feel like I'm I'm steamrolling a little bit on this episode just because I, I I feel um I don't know why I feel like strongly uh, with this topic, but um one thing I, I wanted to just throw out there and you, you guys can agree or disagree if, if this sounds like a good idea, but I really, really um, like the brothers bloom as a movie and as a, a, a set piece for this archetype as an orphan with a sibling because two orphans together take that kind of same journey, but play off each other in different versions of that parental role at different points in their lives. I will like now that you guys well that you mentioned like Cain and Abel was something that came to mind when you guys were mentioning it, but um, Sabretooth and Wolverine, Romulus Remus, the Brothers Bloom. I almost feel like that's a different archetype and a different journey. It could, yeah, no, than, it could just be. I, I'm just throwing it out there because that's, that's I, I think that's it's good. worth exploring. Like maybe a whole episode Warrior. on on yeah. That's another one. Oh man, yeah. Oh yeah. All right, so let's save that. Let's table that one. But uh, anyone have a, a third idea that that we could kind of delve into? Um, well, maybe it, just uh, go with the fucking obvious one. I mean, what what is um Prince of Egypt? Is that too uh, on the nose? Isn't Moses like an, an orphan at a baby? Yeah, I'm always down to watch that movie. You have no idea how much I like Balcomer <laughs> in that movie singing songs to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if everyone. I really want to like try and work this in, but it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> and it's the, the Warcraft movie they made. <laughs> oh God, the horrible live action one. <laughs> but it's really I'll more of it. like, okay, I haven't seen no, it. No, no, here, wait, wait, it. I got it. I got it. I figured I had to connect the dots. We, we as a generation of orphans are the orcs in this situation. I mean, that's an orphaned race. Technically, right? Like in the in the lore, I'm not sure the movie because I only saw like half you, of it. You have to be prepared for this to be a Tao situation, though, Andre. Like, if we all fucking hate this movie, is on you. I'm okay with that because I absolutely love it. Like, I know it's it's my Starship Troopers. I, I know it's terrible, and I really enjoy it. Thoughts, thoughts. Let's take a vote. I guess. I mean, I mean if it, this what, is up for discussion, I, I do like the again? continuity. Because it does have the real rock and roller as uh, one of the uh, the actors. Is it Idris Elba? 
No, no, no. No, the what's his name? Wait, he's in there? Oh, the actual rock and roller. Yeah, Toby Kebble. Okay. Yeah, I don't what, know. What name. movie what movie is this? Uh World of, it's, it's 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 called World of Warcraft. No, no, it's called of, Warcraft. Oh. Just Warcraft. Just Warcraft. Oh, Sorry. that's such a bad movie. Okay. Um Yeah, you know what? I had to watch this crap. Yeah, I I, I encourage y'all to do the same. So <laughs> All right. All right, so we got our topics of discussion for next week. Um, this was a interesting discussion. I think this was uh, a little bit more. Uh, oh, uh, oh, oh, no! Uh, I, uh, I, I want to bring is it this up. Media suggestion, or is this last the last words? Media suggestion. All right, go for it. D- does anybody ever remember watching the movie uh, Surf Ninjas growing up? No. Oh, is it like the one with the Sega Game Gear? Yeah. Remember, they there's two kids living in LA that just like to surf, and they realize they're Taiwanese princes in another kingdom. And it has Rob Schneider when he was like 20 years old. Is this a spinoff of Three Ninjas? Because I love that movie. <laughs> no, I I think it was like um, not a spinoff, but like they were just capitalizing on the fact that like teen. Ninjas in like fun action comedies were a thing. Yeah. So the whole thing is there's these two kids that have an adopted father. And so they're just, they live in California. They love to surf, all this good stuff. Well, then just out of nowhere, this ninja assassin from another country comes and tries to kill them because they find out that they have a bloodline tied to the royalty of like an inhabited island called Patusan. And the idea is just them realizing that their livelihood is tied to Polynesian royalty. And it's awesome because there's a lot of karate and a lot of surfing and surf karate. <laughs> you know so much more. This is about- though, Hondo. They're definitely brothers. Yeah. I was going to say that goes yeah. back to uh, the, the other. More into the other thing we were talking about. Ah, you're, okay. So it has to be. Also, by the way, you know so much more about this movie than I do about any movie that I saw when I was your age when you saw that movie. Like, I remember uh, maybe Johnny Tsunami as a title of a movie that I saw. I couldn't tell you the plot points of why he was Johnny Tsunami. Oh, man. No, this was one of my favorite movies growing up, like hands down. Uh, uh, you know what? This is going to be exciting. I'm already geared up for like two weeks from now when we're talking about the brother uh, archetype of, of just me because three ninjas fits into that too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Warcraft as a movie, uh, X-Men and Andre would tell us the episodes that we're going to be looking into. And uh, the third thing was Kung Fu Panda. I'm, I'm down. This worked for me. And uh, if no one wants last words, I'll take them unless you've got something to say. Anyone? No, I would say uh, not sure why this archetype is kind of fun for me to delve into or kind of fun for me to play around with in terms of the perspective of someone that doesn't have the parental identities around them that make them want to be better than themselves. But I do think that there's been versions of that role model around me throughout my life. Most of which are talking to me on this podcast right now, which is really cool to see how that grows into something that is further than friendship or further than, um, just kind of brotherhood that becomes something where you don't need to have someone that is your mother or father Uh, guiding you to be the best version of yourself. So maybe that's why, maybe not. Maybe I'm just throwing shit out there and hoping it sticks. But at the same time, this was a fun one for me. I want to see how it plays out when we talk about media. I think it's going to be a lot more fun when we get to joke around about how Cyclops is a piece of shit, but really he isn't because he's one of my faves. But let's get into it next week. Um, Yeah, this was fun. And this has been Flat Circle from the Gaistos Podcast Network. Remember, be yourself just like everyone else, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks.